Hello, and welcome back to The Great Game, an Australian mega game podcast. I'm Patrick. And I'm Jack. In this episode, we're talking to John Keyworth of Kiwi Game Design about the Anubis heresy and all things online mega games. Uh, before we get started, over to Jack, who's got some news from the global world of mega games. Yeah, so just a quick update. Um, so the Mega Game Coalition has just announced uh, the first two mega games that will be running at Gen Con online. Um, and apparently two more are potentially coming soon uh, to that as well. Um, if you, We'll include a link in the uh, description, but if you have a look at it, there's uh, Den of Wolves online and uh, Draft Night 3078, which is a fantasy sports draft mega game, which is awesome. And then also there is a uh, mega game seminar called The State of Mega Games, which will basically... Um, be discussing um, uh, the mega game community and how the scene is evolving. Um, so yeah, really awesome stuff. It looks like for um, the online Gen Con, and uh, I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing some of that um, more action in the online space. Uh, before we jump into the episode, quick disclaimer that we had some minor audio difficulties with this recording. Um, we've done pretty well to get to episode 8, and it was bound to happen. So bear with us, and I hope you still enjoy the listen. Alright, uh, thanks for joining us, John. Um, before we jumped into talking about mega games and the, and the work that you've been doing recently, uh, I just wanted to ask you sort of what your background is in mega games. Um, how did you get into it all? What's your role in the community? Are you more of a player or a designer? Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so my first game I had to look it up was Watch the Skies, like probably most people. Uh, that was in 2017 in Kennington. It was one of John Myson's Southwest Mega Games games. Um, yeah, I just got invited along by a sort of a group of friends that I had used to role play with, um, and then kind of stuck around basically when they didn't. And, and when did you make the leap into designing your own games? Um, so that was, I think it was just the next year because we started uh, Reading Mega Games uh, like a year later in 2018, um, which is when I started talking like seriously about designing a game. Um, and that's where Relics of the Fall came from, basically, uh, which I ran the following year, which is last year. Okay. Awesome. As a player, um, like following Watch the Skies in, in 2017, have you played many, many, uh, in mega, many mega games? Uh, yeah, I've not quite been to 20 yet, but it's getting close, I think. So that's a, <laughs> a fair number. It's not. Not the silly numbers some people uh, manage to attend, but <laughs> absolutely. Uh, what was it that really attracted you to mega games after, I guess, going to that first run of Watch the Skies? What made you want to delve in more and then start designing your own? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just the, uh, I mean, especially from a design perspective, it's just such a sort of interesting challenge, really. Um, also written, written sort of role playing games and board games and stuff before. Um, but yeah, there's just so much, so many moving parts, and so many, so much interesting stuff to, you know, problems to solve when you've got a, yeah, a big mega game, which is a bit like actually playing the games. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of problems to solve. Um, 
designing is a similar challenge, I think, but on a larger scale. It's just really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that uh, kind of leads us on. Um, let's just have a quick chat about your history with design. Um, you mentioned Relics of the Fall. Um, before we move on to kind of the big topic, we'll be talking uh, about your most recent online mega game. Um, tell us a bit about Relics of the Fall and I guess what inspired that and pushed that one to design. Um, yeah, so Relics of the Fall, it's... Uh... I mean, on the surface, it looks like a game about big stompy mechs and post-apocalyptic sort of future. Um, what it actually is based on is Southeast Asian hill tribes and the politics surrounding them and empires. Um, there's a book called The Art of Not Being Governed, uh, which was a sort of inspiration behind it, basically. There's how, how do people in the hills avoid empires just coming in and and ruling them um that was a sort of inspiration for it and then where did um so uh, that's really that's fascinating to me and i'm wondering where the the giant robots and the the the, the rest of the theme get, gets layered onto that did that happen organically or was that something you started with um so i started basically i came up with a few like i had the idea for the like the inspiration then made me think about the mechanics and then I just got, I came up with a few sort of ways I could run that game. You know, I could run a historical game set down in, in the sort of like in the depths of Southeast Asia kind of area. Or I could run, you know, a more fantastical game or, yeah, sort of a post apocalyptic game and that sort of thing. And asked a few people basically, you know, which of these really grabs you. And Big Stompy Mechs kind of won out, which, you know. <laughs> Should have been a foregone conclusion, maybe. Mm, that's awesome. The the work that you've been doing recently, which is on the Anubis Heresy, which um, we've got a lot to ask you about. Did yeah. that? Um, is that your second design? Was there anything in between that and Relics? Uh, yeah. So there should have been, um, because last week I should have ran uh, Club Nineteen Twenty Seven, which is a gangster sort of Prohibition era uh, style game. Um, which, you know, I didn't want to take online because I, you know, quite enjoyed the idea of running it in person. I got some sort of fun mechanics for, that would only really work if you're in the same room. Um, so, yeah, that's done. I, do, I mean, I, it's not done, done. I still need to do some more um, sort of flesh out the, sort of the briefs and the, get the, mecha- the uh, components all designed and things like that because um, I put it on hold because of the lockdown. So. Mm. Uh- unfortunate recurring theme um it looks like with a lot of games that were being in design or close to finish um we'll have to have a chat another time about that one in particular because it's something that's in in the back of my design folder as well something in sort of prohibition era um, yeah. so i'd love to hear more about that um but mm. for now um i wanted to talk about the anubis heresy and just i mean start by asking you how you came up with the idea of this um Mechanically and thematically, I think thematically we can kind of guess. But, um, yeah, where did it all start? Yeah, so obviously when the lockdown happened and um, I thought, oh, we probably could run something online. Um, then obviously the, like, Gothenburg picked up that pattern quicker than I did. Um, but, yeah, so I was wondering what to run. I'd keep a big list of sort of game ideas, basically whenever anything 
sort of inspiration strikes, basically. I'll note it down because you get too many ideas for games. <clears throat> so I'll just put it in a big list. Um, so I went to my list and wondered what would what would sort of fit uh, running it online, what could be relatively simple sort of mechanically, and what could we, you know, what could we do? And this one sort of jumped out, basically, was a game based on the Horus Heresy. But it didn't have any, it wasn't like any more fleshed out than that. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Um, so for listeners who may not know, the Horus Heresy is a big part of the lore of uh, Warhammer 40k, and obviously what the Anubis Heresy is based on, but legally distinct from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, so this was really, this was uh, built from the ground up for online then, in that case. Yeah, it was deliberately, it, it, it wasn't, I mean, it might have ended up occurring another time, but it was, you know, definitely this design has been, I want to run a game online, let's write a game to run online. Um, so I was trying to keep it simple. So the game that actually got ran was largely based on uh, Matrix games. Many were days. Uh, no, no. Yeah, Matrix games are just a type of war game um, where you make arguments to take actions, and then so you're you're you're, you're saying telling an umpire, "Oh, we're going to attack from here. Uh, we're going to win because it's an ambush because we've got." Good reconnaissance, and the enemy is still disorganized from that last, you know, thing that happened. And they might give you bonuses, and then the enemy might go, "Oh no!" But you know, we've got these this fancy technology, and so we should get bonuses. And then you roll some dice and sort it out. Um, you know, resolve what happens, basically. So it's a very simple sort of system where you're, you know, making arguments for what should happen, and then is resolved by a, a control figure, basically. Mm. Absolutely. That's something um, we've been thinking a lot about ourselves is how to keep things fairly simple for the online arena and, and um, based uh, w- without creating a very complex architecture, uh, like you have in a mega game where you know, it's very, when it's uh, in person, it's very easy to have fairly complex mechanics where people are trading things around and doing that. And a lot of that stuff is more difficult to bring online, um, I think. So I guess one of the questions I really wanted to ask you is, I guess, what do you think in developing the uh, the Anubis heresy, sorry, what did you see as the big, I guess, opportunities of of making a game specifically for online and what were the big challenges you wanted to uh, resolve? Yeah. So I think that's changed from when I first started um, writing it. Originally, I just wanted to get something online. I thought something simple and, you know, to fit online, but um, I suppose like the, the, his- the history of the two play tests is the first one was ran on discord and roll 20 and I wrote a whole load of scripts for roll 20 to try and manage the sort of the game mechanics, the movement of the tokens, jumping between sectors, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and it was technically a bit of a nightmare. Um, it wasn't a very stable sort of platform to work with. I mean, my code was written very quickly, so that wasn't very stable either. The interface just wasn't quite up to the task because when you're playing a mega game, obviously you turn up, you don't have time to learn an interface and to get used to mm-hmm. it sort of... Um, 
problems, which is a problem we've had on Discord as well. Because Discord mm-hmm. isn't actually very intuitive. Um, so often people can turn up to that and then not really know what buttons to press to do to do things. Um, so for the second playtest, I ended up writing my own platform for it, um, which, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, it still had problems, but I think it's got a lot more, it, it can go a lot further. There's a lot more, more progress that can be made because it's not restricted by the, the limitations of something like Roll20. Um, I mean, it's going to be a lot of work, but that's where I'm focusing now because I think you can have these simple rules on top. You have a matrix game or a, you know other similar sort of simple thing on the top of it. But if you've got a computer running underneath, then that can handle some of the complexity for you. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I, so I was in the, the first playtest um, with Roll20, and I confess um, what I ended up doing, uh, because I had a lot of tr- uh, some troubles with the Roll20 interface, is I did end up focusing a lot more on the role-playing aspect of it and not touching the mechanical parts of it in Roll20 as much. Um, so tell us about this. So you've moved away from that and created your own platform. Tell us about, I guess, the process of that and what that's looking at like at that at this point because that sounds amazing yeah so i mean my day job's programming um Mm. so that's obviously a help uh for anyone who i suppose these words mean anything to it is a node.js server um that yeah and then everything is built on top of that so there's you know scripts and databases and all the things you don't expect um for the second play tests yeah, we were using um, a Google Sheet as a backend, like a database, because I was worried if it all collapses, we need to be able to keep running the game. So let's have right. all the data in a spreadsheet, basically, that we can play the game from. Um, and I nearly did that. I nearly pulled, pulled the plug halfway through the game because there was a period of about half an hour when the technical problems were overwhelming things. But that seemed to clear up mm. uh, eventually. Well, Mostly clear up anyway. Um, yeah, so that's what that is. So, I mean, the advantages are I could just hand someone a link and they could follow the link and they'd be logged in to their character. It would link up to their Discord because they'd type in their Discord username and it would all just work technically. Awesome. And I can make look like what I like. I can, you know, filter out bits and bobs. Um, I'd like to get the voice comms built into the clients, but I spent mm. about a week on that and I'm going to come back to it, I think. Yeah, um, fair enough. Fair enough. That sounds like an amazing platform. Yeah, it's perfectly possible. It's just it's just work. I've got a lot of work to do. Because after that play test, I've had to go through and try and make, sort of rebuild it to be a lot more robust, um, to use the best database, to um, control need a lot of options for being able to fudge anything in the game. And there are a couple of things that they couldn't do last time. Absolutely. Yeah, th- we've gone through a similar journey. Um, we uh, have run a couple of playtests for an online um, mega game, uh, gothic horror themed, uh, called Dark and Stormy Night, uh, using um, a lot of stuff we'd kind of cludged together from other places, like different you know, forum software, stuff like that. Um, and we did struggle a lot with the technical side and technical difficulties like you were talking about on Roll20 and all of that kind of thing. So now we're at probably a pretty similar stage where we... Uh, not as far advanced as you are with this with your platform, but where we need to step back and look at the technical side of things and figure out 
how we can do this without all of the uh, like technical issues getting in the way of the game, which I think feels like a really huge problem for online mega games to solve. Yeah, that's why why I thought I don't know if it's hopefully it'll get to the point where you can just boot it up and run a game and it will be fine and you don't have to worry about it. But that's you know that's not this game, that's not next game, and that's probably not ten games time. That's uh, <laughs> you know, it's such a big um, sort of technical challenge basically, and it and unfortunately it's like a normal mega game. You can only really play test it when you're running a big game. So yeah. Everything works fine on my machine. You open it up to 20 people, it starts falling over. Um, yep. Even with test, with the tests we had with sort of three or four people sort of logging on and jumping around and, you know, breaking things, mm-hmm. I still don't quite prepare you for a, even a you know, 20-person kind of half-size playtest. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like a very similar experience that we've been having. And like Jack said, we're really focused on the technical side now and it's it's I, I find it a little bit ironic that you know pre-lockdown and pre considering um putting a mega game online i always thought in in my design and putting together components for games um, my rule was to keep it as tech light as possible um and i always thought that you know once technology starts getting involved like using tablets to record things and spreadsheets and stuff you were going down the wrong path so it's it's funny how we've evolved a little um being forced to i still agree with that in you know meat space games i think that um yeah i'm not gonna be introducing technology in any anything i'm designing in the real world anytime soon i don't think i think there is a certain something to having actual components and understanding the rules based on like the cards you're trading and the thing you know the things you're moving around I think that is something we encountered as well, is that when you're in person with people, uh, the rules comprehension does come a lot easier because everything is physical components and because you're in there in the room and if you, you know, you can give them those instructions in person and all of that kind of thing. Whereas online, there can be a lot more opportunities for confusion, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Hope, hoping that's something that can be yeah, solved with a decent platform if you've got the same if all you can do is what the rules let you do now if there's help built into it if you've got good two tool tips and all the things you normally expect from a computer game uh you know built into your interface that should mm-hmm. be able to guide you through some basic mechanics and then anything more complicated than that needs to run under the hood and you just need to you know and that then needs to be intuitive if there's if there's something if there's a complicated simulation running you need to just assume it's going to work how you expect it's going to work. Uh, not yeah. really an overall, just ignore. Yeah. That combat happened. We don't really care how it happened. We just know that you know the bigger fourth one or however, however you want to play it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny the way that we are nevertheless evolving these things to suit the whatever medium we have to work in on the day. Um, I wanted to just pull us back to the Anubis heresy itself and, and, and the game um, without going into too much detail. Um, John, did you want to walk us through the game sort of in a nutshell, starting off with sort of what, what, what are people doing in the game? What roles and teams are involved and what's everyone sort of working towards? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, the sort of the setting of the game, I guess, 
will then explain the factions and the roles. Um, so you've got, imagine a galaxy-spanning empire of humans, and then all of your your sort of jump gate technology shuts down for a long period of time, hundreds, thousands of years. Um, so you've got this new dark age, and then someone comes on Earth, they uh, are the, the Golden Tsar, um, well, that's what they've called themselves, and they're, they're this sort of, they start off as a sort of archaeologist digging up this old technology and working out how it works, and then they create, um, they manage to reactivate these jump gates, and they manage to create the legions, uh, uh, the Legio Astra, I think they called them, the Star Legions, which are basically space marines. Um, so they've created these sort of armies of genetically enhanced super soldiers. They've retaken Earth and sort of united it in, into the uh, the hegemony. Then there are the there's so that's so you've got the Tsar at the top basically, and then within the hegemony um, you've got the Legion teams. So there we've got three legions that have been written, but there are, are plans for seven. Um, they're each They've each got their own sort of distinct culture and sort of way of doing things, much like in the in the source material. So they go out to reconquer the galaxy. They make a an alliance with the Jovian Order, who are these uh, sort of technologists who live on the moons around Mars, and they've been building this uh, thing called a ma- ma- how to pronounce it Matrioku brain, not the Russian doll. Around around uh, Jupiter, which is a, a sort of sci-fi concept where you can make this incredibly powerful artificial intelligence using all of the energy that gets radiated from something like Jupiter or a star or something, um, and they're hoping to then achieve some kind of digital transcendence and godhood through the creation of this sort of godlike AI. Um, and they're the stand-ins for the Martian tech priests. So the legions go out and conquer the galaxy, but then the Tsar wants to go back to Terra to work on some new project. And so he makes this new uh, government called the Sanctora Imperium, who are these new civilian government. Um, so that's one faction, the Sanctora Imperium. They've got the Sanctora Guard, who are the space space cops, basically, um, with what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, I can't imagine giving cops the ability to destroy planets, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you've got this situation where you've got the Legion factions and this, the new Sanctora factions, and there there's a tension there because the Legions have been the top dogs and they had been kind of ruling themselves and sort of riding out the battle with the Tsar and it's all been very glorious. But now there's these new sort of civilian mortal types who have been they're not technically in charge of them, but they feel like they're in charge of them. Um, and so that creates tension um, in the game. So the other thing that's a faction will be the mouse, the gods of the Maelstrom, uh, the, mouse, the elders, who are going to be the the entities. They're they're not played, but they are the sort of the whispers in the ears of the legions and the and the mm-hmm. people that are going to create this the heresy and whatever the civil war ends up looking like. Um, which is something that's changed in both games, like how, why there is a civil war, who's on what side, and that sort of thing, um, just to keep people on their toes. Oh, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, so this is something I experienced in the first playtest where I was suddenly and violently betrayed by <laughs> by several people. Um, take us through, I guess, how, you, how you've changed it and how you're looking at it now, I guess, in terms of those mechanics. Yeah, so the mechanics are quite uh, similar, as in you, each traitor will know one or two other traitors um, at the start of the game. They'll know who they are. And that creates this sort of web of traitors that don't really know what's going on. Cool. So the first part of the game is get, trying to get into contact with each other without drawing suspicion. Then you have to organize how you're going to you know, start the civil war, and then you have to fight it. So that side of things is the same. I tried to put in about a third of traitors um, because of some last-minute rolls swaps in the second playtest. We actually nearly had half traitors, which was... Oh, wow. A bit much. Um, basically, that was yeah. a mistake. Um, but, yeah, that's just a, a balancing issue. Hopefully, with a, a bigger game, it will be easier to keep an eye on those numbers and a couple right, of people yeah. changing the point, drastically change anything. Um, but, yeah, in the first game, it was very straight up. Anubis, the, the chosen uh, sort of war marshal for the, the legions in the Tsar's absence, um, had been in contact with the elders of the Maelstrom and had decided to, you know, he, he'd been abandoned by the Tsar and ought to be ruling in his place, really. So mm. fairly authoritarian-like. Um, in the second one, the Tsar's secret project was to try and ascend to Godhood, um, to try and draw upon the energy of the Maelstrom to displace the existing elders and take their place, which the elders didn't like, obviously. And mm -hmm. um, the... Legions were quite happy with. They practically worshipped the Tsar as God as it is. But the Sanctuary Imprim um, did not like the idea that they would be usurped by this godlike figure and humanity would end up in chains forever, basically. So they were talking, the ones talking to the elders and you know, hatched this plan, basically, to uh, fortify Earth until they could manage to get to the Tsar and uh, finish him off. A completely different team were the traitors in that one. Yeah, I like that, mixing it up. Um, uh, so why don't we go through just, I guess, the key theatres of the game or the uh, uh, pieces that each player is interacting with, if that makes sense. Yeah, so there's the, the common section, which everybody can do. So they've all got a little um, icon on the map, which they can move around, visit planets, and then take actions, which are the, the Matrix Games actions where they talk to control. Um, there, And then each role gets something specific that they can do. Um, so there's the Council of Players, who there is a Galactic Council. In the actual game, there ought to be two, um, like a Civilian Council and a War Council, but obviously in a playtest it's smaller, so we just had one. Um, so they are... Seeing to the issues of the day, passing passing motions. Um, in the first test, it was a little light, so I gave them a budget. In the second one, based on what planets they control, which is something I would never have done in a like the sheer number of planets and how to, how that budget was calculated is something that wouldn't happen in a real life mega game. Um, like it you know, depends on sort of planetary populations and you know who's controlling what and the admin work would be ridiculous but the computer just does it um so they get a budget they, they can spend and they can spend it on anything they like but there was a list of 
sort of fixed mechanical things that they could definitely do, like reinforce certain factions or uh, you know increase their infrastructure in places and things like that. Things like that. So they had they had some ideas and they had some sort of things to be getting on on with. Um, there was the the generals, so they had their fleets, but their fleets had um, yeah. In the first game, they had se- separate fleets of ships that they could move around and have this combat mechanic happen, which was a system called uh, Scrud, which is also popular in Matrix games. But I'm going to move away from. Um, so oh, that, I'm not a fan of how that system worked in the playtests, or no, it it didn't seem to give them the feedback they wanted. the The fights didn't seem so in 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 forty in forty k itself. A lot of the the fights are sort of all the action is centered around these sort of planetary drops and this sort yeah. of ground combat. Um, what this ended up being was a fairly vanilla sort of oh, yeah, you just kind of throw some big spaceships at each other. Mm. Um, and you don't really get any feeling for like, the setting. It's not very evocative, um, basically. So um, maybe I could salvage it. Maybe I could do something with that. But I'm going to look at it, basically, to try and make it feel like you're doing something more exciting when you're having a battle. Um, because that's a big part, obviously, for generals. Mm. Probably split the um like the space have the space battles be more abstracted and have generals come in with their ground forces to take planets and actually get the job done um not entirely sure where i'm going with that at the moment but it's still you know <laughs> um yeah then we had the quartermaster characters who's definitely that's definitely a role that's gonna have to change a lot so they were in charge of re- sort of building ships reinforcing fleets repairing things um, they had some build points, basically, that they spent on things, which kept them a little bit detached and a little bit anchored to their, uh, the places where they built things. That wasn't as good a role as it could have been. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there was the quartermasters. We had some that were sort of mixes of generals and quartermasters, like the Jovian speakers, who were, <clears throat> yeah, because they were these sort of tech priest type characters, they could build things and they could reinforce things and they could fix things, but they also had these expedition fleets that they would uh, fly around with that were happened to be very well armed, basically. Mm-hmm. And then some characters, mm-hmm. some players were agents that they get very little in the way of like fleets and things, but they had bonuses to take actions. Yeah, I mean everyone's taking actions, but they were that was their main the main game. Yeah. Right. And distributed amongst the teams, basically those roles. Um, so everyone, everyone had a, a finger in each of the pies. Awesome. Um, so, so you mentioned the quartermasters you're planning to revise a bit. What, what did you find with the issues with that one? And what are you thinking of, what direction are you thinking of going with them? Um, yeah. So it was a bit of a filler role. It was a little bit of a, you know, just click, click a couple of buttons because, well, you need some more ships. You know, you've got some build points come in. You need to spend them on ships. You need to repair, right. repair the things that have been damaged. There wasn't really much decisions to be made. There wasn't much enough of a game. Possible that the quartermaster role won't be salvaged, and I'll do something else with shipyards. Um, perhaps there'll be if I'm splitting up the ground combat and the, and the so 
space combat. Maybe there'll be admirals who get to direct fleets in certain directions uh, as their gameplay. And then the, you know, the generals can focus on the ground combats. We'll, uh, we'll have to see how much sort of mechanical uh, tools you'll get to play with once the, the new systems are written, basically, as to where that role, what that role can do. Yeah. So it'll maybe it'll reinforce the fleet, but also direct it. And the generals will be yeah doing their own thing. Hmm. It sounds like there's some sort of significant changes or um, you know realignments of mechanical stuff coming down the track from those playtests. Um, are there any other major mechanical pieces within the the game that we haven't sort of talked about yet? Um, no, like I said, I'd like to keep it fairly straightforward. Mm. So it was, that was basically it. You've got actions, you've got fleets, you can reinforce the fleets, and you've got a council that does things. Um, and there's traitors. That's the, the game in a nutshell, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I think because... Because of the feedback from the playtests and because of now working on my own platform and being able to do a bit more with it, I think that's given me a lot more room to make a game that you know, exists online, could, could only exist online in a you know, more interesting way. I could do things with, the, say, the, the fleets and directing them that you wouldn't want to do. It would be too fiddly in in real life, whereas we just were a few a few clicks of a mouse, you can get it done. Um, some more stuff for traitors being able to. We had uh, some feedback that it was very because your your ships didn't really have individual loyalties, so a traitor could say, "Oh, could I you know borrow these these ships from this planet? I need to go and fight a war." And then they say, "Yeah," then so they can just rock up, take the ships, and then next turn flip to be evil, and all the ships that they've taken are suddenly. Traitors mm. as well. Um, mm. Evil's the wrong word. Uh, traitors. <laughs> yeah. I would like to say who's evil. Usually both sides. That was actually something else I wanted to ask you. It's a, as someone who's not very familiar with the law of the Warhammer 40k world and um, the Horus Heresy. Is this? It sounds like there's a significant amount of background that information that you've put together. Is it? Is it essentially a reskin of of or, you know the inspiration? Or have you? Did you find that it was evolving and and being molded into something pretty unique? Um, yeah. So I started off just with the we're just going to reskin it, <clears throat> but then um, so there's something else. There's a big role playing game I ran for about ten years for the Essex University Role Playing Game Society, um, which was it ended up being looking a little bit like a mega game, to be honest. It was sort of 20, 20 to 40 people. It took the whole weekend. Um, <laughs> we had teams of GMs who would like run different sectors of the, well, not sectors, but different regions of the, of the continent that it was set on, and they would be in charge of the plot for that re- region, but then they'd have a character playing other ones and all sorts. Um, but from that, basically, I came with the vague idea, and then I got these teams of people, basically, to write the region's and run the regions for me, and it was amazing. Um, hmm. The sheer amount of stuff to invent um, was overwhelming, and if I'd done it all by myself, it would have been a bit vanilla. It would have just been a you know fairly bland reskin or something. So for for this, um, so it's something I got interested doing for 
Mega Games after the second run of Relics, where I started giving the control characters some NPCs to play, and they really got into character with that. And so, oh yes, now let's get the control to do more, basically, and to get more invested in it, and not just have this one or two designers at the top designing a game, writing a game, and then handing it off to control to run. Um, let's actually say get the control on board. So I got I put out the call and got a whole bunch of people come in to collaborate, and they would write an entire sector of a galaxy with all of these interesting planets in it and sort of factions and systems and all sorts of things going on. I had people writing the like the legions, each of the legions that were there were written by someone that wasn't me. I gave them a name and an icon and <laughs> rest. Some of these are people are familiar with 40k, some of them are not. So how much they you adhere to the like the source code, source material definitely varies. Um, yeah. But I think it's it's had so much input on it from so many people. It's definitely a lot better than it would have been if I'd tried it on myself, by myself, and it's moved a lot further away from the source material than if I'd written it mm. by myself. Yeah, it sounds like a dream design team, having that many people come in and help put together those kind of details. It's awesome. It's been a great, great group of people to work with, and, yeah, I mean, it's still four legions to write and two more sectors, so, uh, you know, I'll need some more people, but... Get, get cracking. <laughs> yeah. You, you said that you've done um, a couple of playtests so far and that you did change a few things in between. Yeah. Um, how did the playtests go sort of in comparison to how you thought they were going to go? Were there things that you were expecting to to work well that didn't or vice versa? Or did they go pretty much as expected? Yeah, so what, what I was really worried about going into it um, like I said, because I kept it fairly simple, I, I thought I kept it fairly simple and straightforward. Was I was mainly worried about the tech, getting that up and running, getting it, having it work for the whole day, um, that sort of thing. And I was right to be worried. There's a lot of code written in a short time. Uh, the Rolls Royce platform was a bit kept on crashing randomly anyway. Even even if it wasn't my fault, code's fault. It would get overloaded, I think, um, and just stop working for a bit. Um, that was that. That was my chief concern, and that was definitely sort of be right to be concerned about that. And I don't think that running an entire game on Roll Twenty would have ever worked. So I think right. the direction it's gone in, while a lot of effort and quite ambitious, is probably the only only direction I could have taken it if I want to have this this client that kind of makes it easy to run. Yeah, so sort of unexpected things. Uh, I mean, we had someone turn up and hope to play the game while playing it on a tablet, which had just completely, mm. uh, completely skipped my mind entirely. I hadn't imagined someone would be playing it on that. But they, I mean, that's something I really want to. You know, it would be really good to support. Um, but I think before that happens, I think the like all the chat stuff needs to be integrated into the website as well. Basically, so we've got a fair way to go, I think, before we'll be mega gaming on our phones or our, uh, our tablets. I think <laughs> it's like being able to tab, move between tabs uh, yeah. on a browser fairly easily is uh, the way forwards. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so after those two play tests, um, what do you feel like at the moment and going forward is your personal uh, favorite thing that's come out of that or your favorite part of the game at the moment or something that you're most proud of, I guess? So, I mean, I think as a as a general 
a general sort of mechanical thing that's come out of it. I do enjoy the the traitor mechanic. Um, it's a little bit different to something like, say, the Den of Wolves traitor mechanic. Uh, I think definitely seems like an interesting way to go with that. I think as a, it's, a, it's a very simple, obviously, it's a very small part of the small small thing. Um, just the seeding the traitors and telling them about a couple of other people each, but it, I don't know, there's something about the designs is, you know, simple designs are quite elegant and that seems to have created quite a nice sort of arc. Uh, I mean, it still needs, you know, work and the briefing still needs polishing and that sort of thing, but uh, it needs to be better, but that's definitely something that's not going to get uh, thrown away, even if, you know, a bunch of the other parts of it change. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, just the, the collaborating on it, the, the collaborative world that we've built, I'm not sure if I want to write, write a game on my own anymore. Um, really. um, it's, yeah, it's just been so much more interesting and you know, exciting to work on it with a group of people. That, awesome. And so um, what's next for the Anubis Heresy? Is it, uh, how far do you, how far away do you think it is to run a full game? Well, I think I mean, the game itself probably needs another playtest. Mm-hmm. Um, with because, I, you know, like we discussed earlier, there's there are some <clears throat> mechanical bits that need a, quite a bit of a, a shake up. The uh, yeah, the stuff with the fleets and the quartermasters and some of the stuff the traitors can do. There were bottlenecks around control time because of the actions you took were quite control heavy. So there's still <clears throat> work to be done. There still needs more playtesting. Um, but I think the main thing is the platform that it runs on. Um, currently, I'm planning on running some, or hopefully getting someone else to run some uh, just normal Matrix games, like sort of six people, six person kind of size games, where just taken out of a book and run as is, um, just to try and get the platform working and make sure we've got all the tools that control need, make sure it's you know, fairly reliable. The game's getting, you know, saved and running. People can use the interface. Then once that's running, maybe start running with some sort of more medium-sized games. Uh, Darren Green's Climate Crisis. I was looking at that. Awesome. Might have that over because that's got that's that'll be about sort of fifteen. I can't remember exactly the number, but fifteen people. It'll be a bit bigger again. And it's got some of the things you'd expect from mega games. In like, it's got a lot of trading of, of goods. Basically, so you've got a lot of cards that you're, you're you're shifting around. So if I can get that working, that's another thing that builds up this platform. That's another you know brick of mechanics that work nicely. Mm. Uh, I was looking at God Emperor as well, actually, because oh, really? the, uh, the mechanics that's the mechanics of that are quite. I feel like they're quite defined. They're quite well defined, and they're quite. It'll be quite a good <laughs> thing to make handled by a computer. Because uh, there's a lot of order writing and then resolving the orders. And if you write the orders, if the computer then generates a report, if anything, it could be, you know, you could do some good things with that, I think. Um, that kind of game. And it scales, seems to scale well. So I could run a small game of it to make sure it's working well and then run a slightly bigger game of it. And then if I can run a 40 person game of that, then the platform works and it's not going to fall over and I can run my own game on it. Um, so obviously that's a lot of stuff in the coming months absolutely that's amazing yeah God Emperor is definitely a one of the more 
mechanically heavy things, and I think that's one of its potential greatest flaws is uh, getting people's heads around the mechanics there. So uh, that's exactly where I see online platforms being amazing is just, uh, like you say, calculating everything for you and all that kind of thing. It sounds like the platform that you're putting together, you're like obviously you are considering running um, other Matrix games on there to test different features of it. Are you designing it so that it will be sort of um, modular so that you can run different game systems on it or will it need a lot of work to to adapt to new systems? Um, it will be, I'd say a little bit modular, um, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hoping to have you know, lots of code reuse and that sort of thing. It's not, you know, it's not something that I would envisage, you know, someone that's not got a lot of time, you know, not, it's, it's not going to be a sort of, you know, pull out bits and components and then sort of plug a game together kind of a platform. There will still be, there'll always be sort of coding work, I think, to do. I mean, talk to me in 10 years time, maybe it'll be fixed, but, you know, at the moment the plan is each game will be, built on top of a, a core sort of engine that sits at the bottom of it. I'll probably end up with some fairly reusable components uh, for handling bits and pieces, but yeah, each game will still be written, you know, bespoke on top of it, I think. From this experience um, and, and putting the platform together, do you think that sort of regardless of the current lockdown that we're living in, do you think that you'll look at designing other mega games for online, or do you think it's just a, a temporary thing? Uh, well, I think they're they're different, so I don't think it has to be a temporary temporary thing. I think so. I think there's sort of two two ways you can go with online games. You've got the sort of um, like the runs of Den of Wolves have happened, which is you know if we want to play a mega game, we can't go out. Let's play a mega game online. Um, approach, which you know, felt good. Well, I played in the first one of those. Um, but then there's also, yeah, and I'm, I don't know, I don't know that I see, you know, I don't know that I'd want to adapt a game that I've written to run online like that, especially not after lockdown ends. Um, but the, the the scope for writing games that are online that can do different things. Occupy different states. We can get, you know, people globally in to to play them. It's all, you know. I feel I feel like they're different. They they at the moment they're not that different, but I feel like they could be different enough to get their own sort of following and be their own thing. So uh, yeah, or been been interesting to see if that happens and how they become distinct. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a huge space for these kinds of like large-scale online uh, mega games with their own identity, like things that have been made specifically for online. There's still a huge amount of um, potential there. Um, hmm. Yeah, which is really yeah. exciting. All right, awesome. Um, well, thanks so much for, for coming on, John. Really uh, appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into um, the Anubis Heresy um, when the full game uh, comes out and, and check out this um uh, platform um yeah so before we sign off uh did you have any um uh shout outs you wanted to make and where can people find you online uh yeah so i can uh share out the um 
the control team for play tests who were like I keep on saying amazing and did a lot of good uh, good work writing stuff such David Ed Kylie Darren John and Rob um, yeah so there's um, normally I'm doing stuff with Reading Mega Games that's where I, I sort of run most things uh, which is yep. you can find on uh, readingmegagames.co.uk Mm. Uh, and then my own, I've got my own site, uh, kiwigamedesign.co.uk as well, which has got, I mean, that's got things other than mega games on it. But. All right. Well, well, thanks so much for taking the time out um, to to record with us. Really interesting stuff. Um, I hope that we get to see and hear a bit more about the the online platform you're putting together. And like Jack said, I'm I'm keen to see Anubis Heresy when it's out. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Well, thanks for having me. And gifts. Thanks so much for listening to The Great Game. And thanks again for John for joining us. Um, you can find me at jack at ashtowngames.com. Uh, and as always, you could find me over at the thesydneymegagamers.com. Uh, so please tune in for our next episode in two weeks where we'll be doing a uh, post-mortem of our um, Mega Game playtest for Dark and Stormy Nights.